Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Monday, February 3rd, the day after the Super Bowl, the day after the Canucks fall 4-3 to in overtime to the Carolina Hurricanes after a pretty rough back-to-back weekend as far as start times and turnaround and travel, but a pretty good weekend for the Canucks in terms of results. They are now at 5 out of 10 possible points on this road trip. You know, they they can lose out these last two games and still go 500 on the trip, which is kind of what most people think is what you should do on the road anyways. Not lose out the remainder of the trip, but just try and go 500 on difficult uh, roadies, they've already done that. They've got a tough test ahead of them uh, tomorrow, uh, maybe today by the time you're hearing this, because I am doing another late one here. Uh, Tuesday night is when they're back in action against the Bruins. Tuesday afternoon locally in Vancouver. I believe the game starts at 4 o'clock. But uh, that'll be an interesting one, I think, just because... You know, I honestly, I thought the same thing was going to happen with this Islanders game on Saturday. I thought that, well, we're, we're really going to see some of these powerhouse teams of the East and see the disparity, really, between how good the East is and how good the West is. And it'll really reveal how the Canucks have just been beating up on an easy schedule of uh, Pacific Division teams and lesser lights in the West, so on, etc. That's not how that game played out at all. And uh, I think, you know, Tuesday... Uh, night in Boston tonight, perhaps as you're listening to this, is going to be an even stiffer test on that front. But I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't undercut the Canucks' chances necessarily. They have, uh, they've found a way to do some surprising things lately, and the team, even though there's almost no one left from 2011, still seems to get up. For these games against Boston, because I think even the younger players, whether it's a Bo Horvat or an Elias Pettersson or a Brock Besser, uh, understands how much these games mean to the fan base. And they internalize that and sort of try and uh, have rousing efforts that inspire the city. So I'm looking forward to it. Should be a good one. You know what else I'm looking forward to is letting you hear today's conversation. I was joined uh, for a lengthy chat because they're always lengthy chats, let's be honest, uh, by uh, one of the favorites around here on Locked on Canucks. I always have a good time talking to this guy, and I was happy to chat with him again today. It's Daniel Wagner of Pass It to Bullis, and honestly, exciting times at Pass It to Bullis right now. A big move over to a, a new website, uh, still technically under the same ownership group, but heck, I won't explain it all to you. I'll let Daniel tell you all about it. That's kind of how we start things off. Without further ado, my chat for today's Locked On Canucks with Pass It to Bullis's Daniel Wagner. All right, so the Canucks played a pair of early morning games over the weekend, which, uh, you know, I- I've said on this show many, many times. I'm not necessarily a morning person. I tend to work late at night. I did not watch either of these games. I have seen the highlights from them, but I did not sit down to watch them in their entirety. And in situations such as this, there is one man in this market who proudly proclaims, I watched this game, or in this case, I watched the games. He is Daniel Wagner from Pass It to Bullis, and he makes his triumphant return to Locked On Canucks. Daniel, uh, thank you for doing this. You are very welcome, and I indeed watch every single game. So anytime that I talk about fancy stats and people go, watch the game, nerd, I'm like, I do, I, I do, I, and I publicize that I do. I, I make do, sure everyone knows I, I watch these games. I do believe Jackson McDonald filled in for you at one point. Uh, earlier this season. Oh, you still watched hey. it anyways. I still watched it anyway. No days off <laughs> for Daniel Wagner. Uh, no. I, who has time for that? <laughs> I mean, 
Who has time to stop working in this economy? I guess you're onto something there. Yes, uh, <laughs> Daniel. Before we start talking about the the results from this past weekend and kind of where the team is at at this stage of the season, uh, heading into the trade deadline, which is of course the next big topic on the agenda, let's talk about you and pass it to Bulis and uh, kind of a big exciting change that went down for you not too long ago. Absolutely, uh, I've been working for the Vancouver Courier for quite a little while and uh glacier media is the media group that owns the vancouver courier and they came to me and were like look you should be on vancouver is awesome.com because vancouver is awesome is also part of the same media group and is a bigger website more people go to it and they were like wait why is our main canucks writer not on vancouver is awesome and i said that's a good question here's how this is going to work. You're going to make me full-time staff and you're going to give me a budget for freelancers so I can bring in other writers and make this the best possible version of Canucks coverage that it could possibly be. And they said, yes. And I was rather taken aback that they so <laughs> that they just were like, yeah, that sounds great. That's exactly uh, what we want. Let's uh, do it. Um, like, oh, a media company that's willing to spend money in the year 2020. My goodness. Couldn't it was believe very alarming. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know quite what to do with myself. I was like, oh, oh, we're actually doing this. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's make this awesome. And we're trying. So, yeah, I've, I've brought in a number of uh, freelance writers, some contributors to uh, make this happen. And it's been a pretty crazy few weeks here trying to get this all on. Uh, underway and it's been pretty neat to see the response from people and also i've been getting a lot of people contacting me submitting some ideas and pitches and yeah it's it's an exciting time for pasitabulus uh it's crazy and hectic and wild and i love it it's it's kind of fun too that seems like sort of the i mean if there are narratives among the media uh, over the course of a season, uh, you know, never mind the narratives on the ice. This year, this entire you know year, feels like it's all about helping people out and inclusivity and uh, doing as much as we can to uh, make this an open and inclusive circle uh, to bring new people into the Vancouver hockey media scene. And obviously this is, you know, entirely because of the tragic passing of Jason Botchford, who was doing a lot of this kind of work behind the scenes. People feel like there's, uh, you know, a lot of heavy lifting to be done in his absence on that front. And, you know, it, it just feels like this is sort of an expansion of that, you know? I know that uh, it's not necessarily a, a mentorship program like, for example, the Botchford Project, but you are, uh, you know, just like Jackson at Canucks Army, doing editing on, you know, young, new people's work. And, you know, if I'm not mistaken, I think a lot of the people that you've brought in as freelancers were part of the, the Botchford Project as well. Well, yes, uh, I've got two writers, the, the two earliest writers, I believe, from the Botchford Project have, have joined Pasitabulis, or writing some, some pieces for us. Uh, David Quadrelli is uh, doing some regular writing, like he's, he's right into it. It's pretty exciting. He's very enthusiastic, very passionate about becoming a Canucks writer and, and doing this as a job. And it, it really reminds me of me 10 years ago, and, and what's kind of a neat aspect of this is that I get to provide 
that opportunity that wasn't there for me when I started out 10 years ago. Now I get to provide this opportunity to give, give writers a platform, uh, a pretty decent platform to pay them what I feel is, is fair and, and, you know, not like the pennies that some startup tech companies might pay, <laughs> might pay writers, not, not throwing any shade, not intentionally at least. Um, and uh, the other uh, Botchford project writer that came on board is Natalie Hoy. And it was great when I was asking her for some pitches and she just immediately came back at me with some great ideas. I was like, yes, yes, this is exactly the kind of thing that I want to be on Passage and to have writers that immediately get what Passage is about, that are passionate and excited about telling interesting and unique stories. It, it's really cool. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, it's just all about kind of sending the elevator back down, right? Like, uh, not that you're in the penthouse suite at this point by any means, but, you know, y- y- you do hey, remember hey. what it's like. I have a full-time job writing about hockey. That's, uh, <laughs> you know, in this economy, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that's the penthouse suite. <laughs> yeah, and, but just like for a guy like Quads, for example, who is also writing for Canucks Army right now, like... It is great that Canucks Army exists, uh, but that doesn't mean that it should be the only thing like that. You know, especially when you are a freelance writer, you need to be uh, pitching and, and writing for as many different outfits and publications that you possibly can be. And uh, the fact that there is a kind of growing uh proliferation of more and more places that you can do that uh i think speaks well to you know not just uh the the talent that we have here in this city but uh the fact that there's a ton of interest in this team again as well because you know two three four years ago if there was this same sort of surging wave of new talent who want to cover this team i don't know that there would necessarily be the media money to pay them to do that with where the interest level was well just like passage has this young talent coming up hey so do the canucks <laughs> and that's right the canucks are like us we're not like the canucks <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not being self-centered at all. Um, no, it, it's really kind of neat that there is this surging interest again in the Canucks. And, and it doesn't ever really go away in the Vancouver market. It's not like uh, the talk radio shows are talking about any other sports in Vancouver and, and people are paying attention. It's always Canucks all the time. But there definitely is a new positivity and optimism around the team. There's a lot more interest in reading more about the team. The truth is that the Vancouver market doesn't generally read as much Canucks content when the team isn't doing well, and I get that. Who wants to read more articles about why the team is not playing well? Um, Then it's really kind of a cool opportunity now for these young writers to come in and get their voices out there and to, to have people interested in what they want to say. And I mean, Harrison and I, when we started Pass It to uh, we t- first took it seriously during the 2010-2011 season. So, you know, we had a bit of a boost there. <laughs> it was a good time to start writing about the Canucks. <laughs> no, no doubt.
If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Canucks is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Canucks fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Canucks fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income that let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777. That's double three triple seven or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising we look forward to hearing from you and now for more with daniel wagner <laughs> well uh, uh something that i talked about with tom drance way back at the beginning of the year as far as like the barometer for interest in this city the real test is to me anyways when you go out to a bar on game night and they are actually playing the game with sound on because every bar is still playing the games right now but finding somewhere who, that's playing the games with sound is still uh, a bit of a Herculean feat, it feels like, at the moment. That's the threshold that we kind of really need to get to to be back as a uh, you know full-fledged hockey city, I think. But maybe that's something that just comes once the team makes the playoffs once, you know? Because the, obviously sound is going to be on for the playoffs, and then hopefully that same level of interest carries over uh, into the following season, I guess. We'll see. I think there's still this hesitation to fully embrace the Canucks. Uh, Canucks fans have been hurt before. You know, it's tough to trust again. Will we ever learn to love again? It, it's it's true. And, I mean, like, I, I immediately went to, I don't know if you remember the game, Katamari Damacy. Yeah, sure. But But one of the things the king of the universe would say at the beginning of each level would be, I can believe in you for six minutes of Earth time. And that's kind of how I feel Canucks fans are right now. It's like, I can believe in the Canucks for now. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll, we'll, see. We'll I, see. I, I <laughs> talked about this on the show not that long ago, the idea that like as soon as I was willing to embrace this team back in uh, November, like I was willing to be an early adopter <laughs> of believing in this group, as soon as I like outwardly declared, this team is for real, this is who they are, they're going to make the playoffs, they fell off a cliff for like a month and a half. So I felt like an idiot for having made that <laughs> you know, public investment in them. But I, you know... I do kind of feel like they are for real at this point. As you know, the later and later it gets in the season, and they're still right where they are, which is at the top of the division, and only five points back right now of St. Louis for top team in the West. Period. Like, sure, they could have one, two bad weeks and be right down at the bottom again, but it doesn't feel like that's going to happen this year. There's just sort of a a steadiness to this team that hasn't existed in the past, and we've seen it play out in, in, in games on the ice. You know, a, a team that comes back from being down heading into the third period, a, a team that comes back after surrendering the first goal against the St. Louis Blues. Like, these are not things that happen very often for uh, hockey teams in general. Certainly, they're, they're the only team that's done that to St. Louis all season long, but, like, we certainly haven't seen that from the Canucks at all at any point in the last five years. 
Well, what's intriguing about the Canucks right now is that they have the top-end pieces to be a legitimate playoff contender. You know, they have that franchise centerman. They have that number one defenseman now in Quinn Hughes. They've got some scoring wingers. They have two solid goaltenders, including one that could legitimately be in the Vesna conversation by the end of the season. You know, those are all the components that you want to see for a playoff contending team. The question has always been, the team that was built around those pieces do they have the depth do they have the right players in the bottom six do they have the right defensemen and on the bottom pairing or, or whatever else those pieces around that uh, core and and that's still in question for me and i think the biggest reason that the canucks have been on this role and that they haven't faltered is that they haven't had any injuries to those key players you know, the, their top forwards have been healthy all season long. Their defense, apart from missing a little bit of time from Alex Edler, has been healthy all season long. They haven't had to dig into their defensive depth at all. And so when that happens, and their goaltenders too have been healthy, apart from like a, one injury for Demko, but then Markstrom just kept going and that was fine. So when you can stay healthy like that and you're building that chemistry and you're building a lot of confidence because you still are able to, to come back in, in games late and you still have that confidence that you're never out of a game, it, it builds up and it builds up. Now, I'm just kind of waiting for that injury shoe to drop for, for one of their top six players, to one of their top six forwards to, to suffer an injury that takes them out for a few weeks or for one of their defensemen to suffer an injury that takes them out for a few weeks and see if they have the depth to fill in that gap. But until that happens, yeah, I'll believe in them because they're, they're doing what is necessary to win. I, I was filling in today on the program with Satyar Shah and Bik Nazar, and I kind of um, made mention of the fact that they've been lucky with injuries, but not in the way that you just talked about. Like, yes, they've been lucky in that none of their top players have really succumbed to injury hardly at all so far this season, but they've been lucky with the injuries that they have had and the timing of those injuries and the way it's allowed this team to maintain their level of depth without having to make any tough decisions, without having to, you know, send any more one-way contracts down to Utica than they already have, basically. Because, I mean... Yes. Is it too bad? Is it really an awful thing that Josh Levo completely messed up his kneecap and is not going to be back until, you know, maybe playoff time at the earliest, maybe a little bit before then? Yes, it's bad for him and it's unfortunate because he was playing very well this season. But for the Canucks as a team, I think that was actually a fortuitous thing because they were right on the cusp of having a healthy roster, having Michael Furlan back, having guys come off the IR, Brandon Sutter as well. To the point where not only would you be over the cap, but you'd be you know over the uh, the the roster limit. Essentially, they were going to. We were you know a healthy Josh Levo away from like Louis Erickson no longer being a, a hockey player. You know, like I do believe that if they had made the decision to send him down to Utica, that he probably would have just retired, and that would have been the end of his career. And instead, he's had this great resurgence alongside Bo Horvat, and he's proven himself to be a valuable depth piece to this team entirely because they had an injury when they did, you know? If this team was healthy earlier in the season, we might be missing key pieces that could be 
difference makers potentially come playoff time. Uh, and so I go from there to asking you, uh, do you, do you feel like this team needs to do anything at the trade deadline? Because to me, it feels like their deadline acquisitions are with the team already. They're just on the injured reserve or, you know, playing in depth roles right now, whether that's a guy like Jordy Ben sitting in the press box or a guy like Sven Berchi down in Utica. Well, I mean, the other question to ask is, can the Canucks even add anyone at the trade deadline? They're not in a great cap position to to be making any large acquisitions, at, at the very least. Um, there are maybe some players on cheaper contracts that they could uh, acquire as a rental or perhaps a player that uh, has another year on his contract. That would be a, a good addition. Um, I, I think of uh, Andre Kasha, I, I believe, is the one of the names that would make some sense for the Canucks. But for me, this isn't the time to be adding at the trade deadline. This is still a team that is coming off of the tail end of a rebuild that is arguably still going to have some of the tougher aspects of that last little bit of rebuilding to take care of next offseason. And so I look at this team and I go, you're not quite there yet. Sure, you're at the top of the Pacific Division. Pacific Division isn't very good this season and you have to look at your chances in the western conference as a whole um whether you can actually make an extended playoff run that would make going for it at the trade deadline worth it and and i just don't think they're there yet i think they can look at the team that they have now the roster they have now the players that they could have available in the future like you mentioned and, and just go with that see how far you can go in the playoffs get that playoff experience for your younger players and then go from there into the future. Don't spend assets on a trade deadline acquisition when you're not really in a position to make that kind of move. I agree with you. And that is the pragmatic approach, certainly. And even, you know, (laughs) with what I'm about to say, I still don't think the Canucks should really do anything at the playoffs, uh, at the deadline rather. But I do think your point about like take stock of the Pacific Division kind of works both ways because you have an opening this year. You have a clear path to at least the conference final if you can make it that far through your own division, if you can beat. Vegas in the playoffs is basically the question there. Uh, in, in that sense, you know, and and, and this is also uh, an argument that Jackson McDonald has made on this program and on Roxy Fever and probably in Canucks Army as well, uh, as far as why Jackson is maybe not as high on the team as other people, is that, you know, he feels that this defense in particular is as good as it's going to get for the next several years. You know, these guys are only going to get older. You're probably going to lose some pieces, and there's nothing really coming on the back end to fill those holes and roles necessarily, I combine both those things in my head to feel like maybe this is, yes, I fully understand. It is too soon. <laughs> it is It is all these things that you just said. It is, you know, the first time, the first knock at the door. You shouldn't be uh, just charging your way in necessarily, but this might be the best chance that they have, and I don't want to look back five years from now and feel like there was a real opportunity here and the team decided to play it safe because it wasn't the year. Well, and it's not like Jim Benning isn't in that mindset already. You look at the JT Miller trade. Yeah. You know, making that kind of move, that's not a rebuilding move. Moving a first-round pick, that's that's risky. And now it looks like it's paid off in a huge way. He hasn't just been good. He's been one of the best forwards on the team. And he's helped 
solidify one of the best lines in the entire NHL. <laughs> so, I mean, he could possibly outscore Pedersen this season. That's that's crazy to me. Like, he's he's mere points away from a career high for him. So you're talking about a move that I still don't know was the right move based on what we knew at the time, but it has paid off in a big way. Perhaps Jim Benning goes to the deadline and goes, look, I've already made this move that is a go-for-it type of move. Why not go for it even more? Find a way to find some cap space. Find a way to bring in an impact player and go for it. But, I mean, the big issue is that they don't necessarily have that cap space to really get an impact player. I feel like the type of players that they could acquire with the cap space that they currently have wouldn't be any better necessarily than the players they already have on the team. Yeah, they're probably looking for like a depth centerman right now. And if that's what you're looking for, you have Brandon Sutter on your fourth line, like as a winger. You you already have that, you know, like you, you're right. They did all their deadline shopping in the offseason. And that's why kind of, you know, whether it's a Levo or a Furland or uh, guys getting bumped into bigger roles than they're currently playing right now who were picked up in the in the offseason this year, that is kind of uh where they're at, it does. It doesn't make sense to swing for the fences on like any sort of high-profile uh, trade acquisition. They don't have the assets for it. They don't have the cap space for it. And I, I would worry a little bit too about kind of upsetting the chemistry of this team, who really seem to have found something special. On that note, however, one of the names that came up with Elliot Friedman today when he was on Sportsnet 650 was Troy Stetcher, that they might not, you know, be fully willing to pay him what he might command in the offseason and as a result might flip this guy out of here uh, to get something for him at the deadline. I would worry about that, not just because I like Troy Stetcher and think he's a very kind of underrated asset, at least as far as the way Canucks coaching staff and brass assesses him internally, uh, certainly when you know he's a guy who starts on your bottom pairing and ends on the top pairing pretty much every season three years in a row now. But he seems like... And I sort of got into this a little bit with Sat earlier today. He seems like, you know, one of the leaders of this team, at least from when you read his quotes, he seems to really have a handle on what's going on here. And uh, is that just, is that media bias of like, well, this guy is a good talker and he always gives me what I want when I go to talk to him. So therefore he's a leader or is he actually an important piece of the social part of this team's makeup? I'd say Stetcher is is such a great quote that I worry exactly that, that he does kind of skew the media perception of him as a player. Here's the thing. I think he's the best right-side defenseman the Canucks have. And, And I don't think that should be particularly controversial, but somehow it is because, I mean, Chris Tanev is great. I love Chris Tanev. A lot of people have been pleasantly surprised by Tyler Myers. I still think Troy Stetcher is the best right-side defenseman the Canucks have got. My man. That's um, what I like to hear. <laughs> and and I think that he, he does have, there's a maturity level to him. I think he's well-liked in the room. I think that he does have a leadership aspect to him as well. Uh, I think that his on-ice play is more important, though. I, I think that he would be dearly missed and in a surprising way if the Canucks moved on from him. I, I think that he has a bigger impact defensively than people think. I think he's better on the penalty kill than he gets any credit for. And I think he still provides a little bit more offense than you're going to get from a a defensive defense first 
guy like Chris Tanev, even though Tanev obviously has put up a little bit more offense uh, while paired with Quinn Hughes than he has in the past. I still think Troy Stetcher is the best right side defenseman the Canucks have got. Also, he's like the natural Tanev replacement. Like, let's be real. I love Chris Tanev and have for the entirety of the last decade, but he's been playing for the entirety of the last decade, (laughs) a style that really breaks the body down. And he's had a nice resurgent year playing with Quinn Hughes. Yes, it's a great story. I just think like the time to move on and turn the page and, you know, elevate somebody else into that role in your defense is coming up fast. I think it would be a mistake for the Canucks to invest any significant amount of money in another Tanev contract going forward from this one. Let somebody else pay him that money. You know, I I just, I really, as much as I love Chris Tanev and it pains me to say that because it pains me to imagine him playing in another uniform if Troy Stetcher was like two inches taller, it wouldn't even be a debate. You know, everyone would be able to recognize, oh, yes, of course, this is the guy to take Chris Tanev's role. Like the fact that we even have to argue for this seems insane to me. I, I think that's it exactly. I, I know when uh, I saw it a lot when Quinn Hughes was drafted, it was like, oh, well, now they got to trade Troy Stetcher because you can't have two guys that short on your blue line. It's like, yeah, of course you can. And you can play them, them together. On, put them on the same pair. Exactly. Same pairing. You should. They, <laughs> They look great together. Whenever they play together on the same pairing, they look great together. I love it. But I, the thing with with Chris Tanev, I love Chris Tanev. I've been a Chris Tanev defender and supporter for years, for a decade, like you say. But he's played every single game this season. He's never done that before in his career. He has never played a full 82-game season. His career high in, for games played is 70. Uh, the last... Three seasons before this one, he reached a high of 55. He's two games away from from matching that. Like, this is an unprecedented run of health for Chris Tanev, and it's not really his fault. He just plays a style where he gets hit with the puck a whole bunch, and that causes injuries. And the fact is he's not going to change that style because that's what makes him effective as a defensive defenseman. But at some point, he's going to get injured again. And if you put a lot of money in Chris Tanev for however many years and he gets hurt again, it's going to suck for your cap. It's going to suck for how you build your roster. You you have to be careful with that. Whereas, you know, someone like Troy Stetcher has remained relatively healthy. He's younger. He, I just, I can't, I just can't fathom losing Troy Stetcher right now, a 25 year old defenseman who is very effective especially on the right side where everybody's looking for good right side defensemen. Keep them. Going to cap things there for now. You know what? This was uh, a conversation that I didn't think went long enough to split it into two episodes, but uh, as I'm putting the thing together right now, that's the way she goes today, I do believe. So uh, you have more of this chat with Daniel Wagner to look forward to, and uh, you're lucky if you're listening to this on uh, Tuesday morning. You won't have to wait very long. Part two coming very, very soon, uh, around noon on Tuesday, I would imagine. So look forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, I'm going to cap it there and split this into a two-parter. 
a nice little chat with Daniel Wagner from Pass It to Bullis. Uh, in the meantime, enjoy tonight's game or tomorrow's game whenever you happen to uh, be putting this in your ear holes. Uh, and uh, you can head on over if you want to do the, the show a favor. You can head on over to wherever you happen to get the podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts or anywhere else, and leave me a rating and a review. I always like to read the things that people have to say about the show, uh, even when they're not necessarily positive, though they almost always are. And that's very sweet of you, and I do appreciate it. Until tomorrow or later today or a few hours from now or whatever it happens to be, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.